Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Kids, you are dismissed with Miss Julie to your classrooms. We will miss you. Enjoy your time. Learn a lot. Have a lot of fun. Your parents are going to have a great time in here with me today, I promise. Good morning, friends. My name is Dave. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. And I first just want to say happy 4th of July weekend. I strategically chose this shirt. It's a little on the nose, I know. (laughs) Just to say, hey, we're here to celebrate freedom today. And as believers, we understand that our earthly freedoms are just just sort of a mere reflection of the larger, grand freedom that we have in Christ now and forever. And today is the day where we, or this weekend anyway, tomorrow officially, is Independence Day. It's this idea that we are free from foreign rule. We are free to govern ourselves. We celebrate that as a nation. And yet as believers, our great independence is that we get to now be dependent on the God of the universe, right? We have freedom to be dependent and to surrender to Jesus. And so um, a lot of the times we overlook this freedom that we have to do this. As Americans, we take this for granted, this ability to gather, to worship, to celebrate, to declare Christ as Lord. And yet this is a freedom that people around the world do not always have. My dear friend, who's a pastor in Nigeria, talk to him once a month. He often tells me how they are not free to gather any time, any place, that there are dangers, that there's persecution. And yet we sometimes treat this, we take it for granted, don't we? But we won't take it for granted today. Today, we, we stop and we pause and we remember what a gift it is to freely worship our Lord together. So in that spirit, let's pray this morning for our country. Thank God for our freedom, and let's pray for our message today. Lord, we ask that today as we celebrate our independence, you would remind us that real independence comes when we depend on you. We ask that you would teach us, Lord, today, remind us where real freedom is found, Instruct us, Lord. Meet us today in this place. May this not just be church for church's sake, God, but may this be a time when we meet with you, when you, Holy Spirit, help us to become more like Jesus, that we might make him known in this world. That's our prayer. Prayer. We pray it together in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, you can grab it. If not, Our text today is going to be on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. As Pastor Nick said, today we launch into a brand new series, four weeks. We're calling it Rest. And the idea behind this series is that this world we live in can be an extremely tiring place. Last summer, I actually uh, went off on a short sabbatical. I had half of a sabbatical, six weeks off, just to sort of take a break from pastoral ministry. It's a wonderful gift our church offers the pastors here after seven years of service. And so I went off on this six weeks break. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I don't have work. I mean, how am I even going to fill the time? It was a wonderful time. And yet when I reflected back on that time, one of the things that stuck out to me was that I did not feel as rested 
as I thought I would. In fact, I was far too tempted to be busy, to use every moment for something. And I want to be very clear in this series, especially in this opening message, that the biblical idea of rest is not what we call relaxing. Most of us, when we think about rest, we think about naps. We think about relaxing. And, you know, how was your trip? Was it relaxing? In other words, did it move at the right pace? Did things go well? Did plans work out? Did plane flights connect? Did you avoid stressful situations? Did you build enough downtime into your schedule? This is what we generally think of. Now, don't get me wrong, relaxing is a really good thing. We all relax differently, but relaxing is good. When Amy and I, my wife, went on our one-year anniversary trip, we took a trip down to Mexico, we went to this resort, we'd been married one year, and it was on this trip that I actually realized that we relax very differently. I mean, we are at this beautiful resort and there were all sorts of things to do. There was shuffleboard and tennis courts and volleyball and snorkeling gear and these little two-person like sailing boats that you could take out for free, just the two of you. And I'll never forget the first day we woke up and I was like, so what do you want to do today? And my wife said, I'd like to sit by the pool and read my book. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. Well, how long do you think we, we want to do that? <laughs> she was like, a few hours? And I was like, a few hours? <laughs> See, for her, that was relaxing. For me, it was kind of torture. Um, but we've learned to relax together over the years. But again, I want to say this. Relaxing is a part of rest. It's one component. We'll probably talk about it in this series at some point. But rest is something more than just relaxing. Biblical rest is not just about being less busy or eliminating stress from your life or choosing the right kind of vacation. Biblical rest is being filled with peace and confidence and security and hope as you walk through all of life. Biblical rest is having contentment completeness, wholeness, well-being, and harmony, no matter what is going on around you. You see, you can have rest when life is calm, but you can also have rest when the storms of life are raging. You can have rest when life is chaotic and stressful and when things are slow and easy. So today we're going to kick off our series with some words from Jesus. And as we do, I want to ask us four important questions as we launch into this subject. Where do we find rest? How do we make room for it? What does it mean to embrace it? And finally, why should we trust it? The where, how, what, and why of rest, straight from Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. These are red letter words right from the mouth of Christ. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Friends, where do we find rest? Where do we ultimately find peace and confidence and security and hope for all of life, for every situation and every circumstance? Jesus says we find it when we come to him. See, right away in this series, we must be very clear that rest, true and lasting soul rest, is not found in righteous living or in right theology or in rigorous rule following. Jesus is not pitching here an upgraded version of religion. He's not saying, hey, your religion is pretty good, but I've got a better one. Here are some upgraded rules, some some better religious practices. And if you just do a few more things or do these things better, then you'll find rest. No, in this passage, Jesus doesn't offer a religious system. He offers a relationship. He offers himself. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Friends, what we must never forget is that to be a Christian is not primarily about living a certain way or following certain rules. Too many followers of Jesus define being a Christ follower in that way. What makes you a Christian? I do these things. I live this way. I follow these rules. Or I don't do these things. I don't do those things. I don't live that way. That's what makes me a Christian. Friends, that may be true of your life. That may be the result of being a Christian. But to be a Christian is primarily to be one who follows and is connected to Christ. That is at the center of what makes you a Christian. You see, it's no accident that that right after Jesus says these words in Matthew 11, that Matthew tells us a story right on its heels. Right away in chapter 12, the very next thing we're told is a story of Jesus and his disciples walking through some grain fields. And as they go, Jesus' disciples get hungry, and so they begin to pick some heads of grain for a snack. Now, this was common practice in Jesus' day. This is not them stealing or taking food that didn't belong to them. This was very much acceptable. But the problem was when they did it, it was the Sabbath. It was the holy day of the week. And the religious leaders had some very strict rules about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. So they begin to chastise Jesus for his disciples not following the Sabbath rules. And in response to the religious leaders' critique, Jesus makes a very important correction, one that we must not miss. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, for humans, and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath, right? In other words, the intent of the Sabbath laws are not just some rules for you to follow. Here, let's see if you can follow some rules, because that's the goal. No, those rules have a point. Those rules are for your well-being, It's not rules for rules' sake. In Matthew, Jesus responds to the Pharisees by saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Hey, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. Jesus says, whoa, I am Lord 
of the Sabbath, right? That's mic drop stuff right there. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the whole point of Sabbath law and Sabbath rules and all religious practice is to keep your hearts connected to me. All this stuff, all these rules, all these laws, they all point to me. Don't lose the forest for the trees. Religious practice is not the end goal. It's a means to an end, and that end is to be more and more and more and more connected to Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, church, one church, 10 o'clock, how does this feel? You nine o'clockers are like, I've never been so awake for church. 11 o'clockers are sleepy. Anyway, is this why you're here today? Is this why you came to church today? Because... Sure, we'll sing, and we'll fellowship in the lobby, and we'll listen to a sermon, and we will share the Lord's Supper, all beautiful, wonderful, important things. But the end goal of each and every one of those things is for you and for us to be more and more connected to Jesus. Because that is where you'll find rest. Not in the rules, not in the practices, but when those practices lead you to him. So how? How do we make room for him? How do we get connected and stay connected to Jesus in order that our souls will find the rest that he offers? Notice what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now a yoke, most of you know this, but it was a wooden cross piece cross piece that was fastened over the neck of an animal so that that animal could be directed and led to pull a cart or to pull a plow. And from this imagery in Jesus' day, a yoke, they started using this, this idea of a yoke to also describe a rabbi's teaching. Because in the same way that a yoke would guide and lead an animal, a rabbi's teaching would guide and lead a person's life. And so again, a rabbi's teaching was called their yoke. But a rabbi's yoke was not just intellectual. It was all of their life. It was the way they lived. It was their understanding of how to truly be human. It was how to flourish and have the abundant life. Do those words sound familiar? That's a rabbi's yoke. Let me show you how to have the kind of life that you were created for, a life of fullness and abundance. Come learn from me and live like me. That's a rabbi's yoke. A rabbi's yoke was their way of living out the scriptures in order to have a life devoted to God. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying, if you are longing for a life that doesn't lead to stress and regret and emptiness and disappointment, but instead one that's filled with peace and confidence and security and hope, then come to me. Learn to understand the world through my eyes. Learn to live and learn to relate to God the way I do. If you truly want rest for your souls, then, then take on my yoke. But friends, in order to do this, because that's the question, right? How? How? In order to put the yoke of Jesus on, we must first take the yokes we've already been wearing off. 
In order to put the yoke of Jesus on, we must first take the yokes we're already wearing off. Notice he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Commentators say here that the implication is that you already have another yoke on. It's not Jesus' yoke. You're wearing some other yoke. Then you need to do a yoke exchange. You take the yoke that you're wearing, you take that yoke off in order to make room to put the yoke of Jesus on. And maybe some of you are here today and you're saying, I'm not wearing a yoke. I don't got no yoke on. But friends, I promise you do. Every single person wears a yoke of some kind, without exception. Every single person in this world adopts, consciously or unconsciously, some sort of life philosophy, some belief system, some way of living they believe will bring them what we would call the good life. We're all after the good life. And so we adopt some way of living that we think will lead us there. And that's why Jesus says, you're weary. That's why he says, you're you're burdened. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and exhausted and fatigued and weighed down with stress because you've yoked yourselves to the wrong things. You've yoked yourself up to the things you think, you've been told, you've been taught to believe will bring you the good life, but they aren't. They're leading you down a dead-end road. See, the question isn't, do I have a yoke? The question is, what yoke am I wearing, and will it give rest to my soul? You see, some of us, and this is a good thing to talk about on the 4th of July weekend, some of us have yoked ourselves to the American dream, to materialism, to, to this idea that if I just have a nice enough house and a nice enough car and nice enough stuff or nice enough vacations or enough money in my bank account to live comfortably, then, then I'll have the good life. Then my life will be full and rich and fun. But materialism will not bring you rest. It'll offer some good moments. It'll give you some good times. But in the end, it will fail in offering you the ultimate rest that your soul is craving. Others of us have yoked ourselves to our families. We think, you know, if we could just have a good family, a great family, if we could just have a a wonderful marriage, and if we could just raise really, really good kids, then our lives will have meaning. And don't get me wrong, family is great. But it can't give your soul rest. Others of us have yoked ourselves to success, vocational success, or or popularity, or beauty, or pleasure. We're looking to these things and we're saying, I want the good life and I think this will deliver, so I will follow its lead. Bethany Allen, a pastor at Bridgetown, I listened to a message she gave this week and she said this, Pleasure is a fickle God. Isn't that true? Pleasure is a fickle God. And again, the idea here is that for a while, pulling that cart may feel really good. 
It may feel like you're getting somewhere, but in the end, you will simply find yourself tired and burdened and disappointed. One of my favorite lines in a song is from the old movie with Jeff Bridges called Crazy Heart. Do you remember this movie, Crazy Heart? It's this movie where Jeff Bridges plays this old country singer who who struggles with addiction, addiction to alcohol. And in one of the lines of the songs he sings, um, there's this line. It's my favorite line in all the songs. Listen to this. He sings, Funny how falling feels like flying for a little while. Funny how falling feels like flying for a little while. He's talking here about the temptation to yoke yourself to partying or substance abuse in order to find peace and joy and contentment in life. And I love this song because it's honest. He's saying for a little while, it feels like it's working. You feel like you're flying. You feel great. This is the good life you are tempted to think. But then ultimately over time, this way of living and this life philosophy, this yoke fails you. It lets you down, it comes up empty, and you're weary and burdened again. Friends, Jesus is telling us here that this is not just true of substance abuse, but of anything else you try to make ultimate in your life besides him. You see, here's the danger for us in church. You know, we, we're here, most of us in this room, recognize that, you know, drugs are bad and that alcohol is not the place to find peace and even materialism, we'll say it, even though we have great cars and materialism is good, you know. We get that stuff. It's the good things in life, the socially acceptable things in life that we're tempted to yoke ourselves to, right? You know, we, we, we we yoke ourselves to, to family or work or religion, and we can convince ourselves in those places that we're flying. And we can fly for a long time on those things, right? And I think I am flying. Friends, it's just a longer fall. You see, some of you are here this morning and you're saying, I don't feel tired. I don't feel, you know, weary or burdened or from the old King James. You know, I don't feel heavy laden. Yeah, of course you don't. You still think you're flying. Right now, it feels like it's working. The kids are doing great. The wife's happy. The bank accounts are flush. Shoot, we're having a barbecue tomorrow with fireworks, and there's even a swimming pool. I mean, this is the good life, isn't it? It'll probably rain. It's Oregon. I'm just, you know. Life is good. Funny how falling feels like flying for a little while. Hear the words that Jesus says. At some point, that yoke, that other master will fail you, turn on you, disappoint you. And when that happens and suddenly you realize how weary and burdened you are, this text and these words will be right here waiting for you. Come to me, Jesus says. When you figured out that that other yoke doesn't work for you and you're weary and you're burdened and he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, friends, in order to put on the yoke of Jesus, we must understand the yokes we are tempted to wear in his place. So let me ask you, who, what are you tempted to turn to for rest in this world? What do you look to for peace? 
What do you look to for security? What is it that gives your life meaning and satisfaction? What other yokes are you tempted to put on as soon as you walk out of here through those doors? Next question. What does it mean to put on the yoke of Jesus? Like, what does that look like? Like, when Jesus says, come wear my yoke, what is he asking of us? What is he calling us to? One thing we must understand, friends, is that a yoke sounds so cozy and nice, right? It was a symbol of submission. When an oxen driver put a yoke on his animal, he did it so that he could have control. So he could guide and lead and direct that oxen in whatever way he desired. It wasn't a democracy. We're celebrating democracy this weekend. This is not a democratic passage. The oxen driver's not like, where do you think we should go, oxen? Like, should we plow this field or that field? Do you want to go crooked or straight? No, not how it worked. Friends, this is an invitation from Jesus to take upon ourselves his yoke and fully surrender to him. It's not Jesus saying, let's hang out a little bit. This is not Jesus saying, you know, how about you and me be homeboys? This is not, hey, you know what? Your life will go better if you go to church a little more. No, this is Jesus saying, I am king, I am Lord, and I want to call the shots in your life. You see, the temptation of humanity ever since the fall in the garden is that we want to be our own authority. Again, so many themes that are just connecting with the 4th of July today. I didn't even plan it that way. Just how God is, right? We want to be our own authority. Is that not the spirit of Americans? You know? Especially in our modern, independent American culture, where we have all the information we need right here. I don't need other people. I don't even need to get directions at the gas station anymore. I just ask Siri. I got my own personal servant right here. She has a British accent on my phone. Should anyone tell me what to do? No. Who should be in charge of me? Me. See, a lot of us in this room, and myself included, we are enthralled with the idea of following Jesus, but actually doing it, actually doing it, the follow-through, the actions, the commitment to live his way, even when it's hard and we don't feel like it, that doesn't happen as often as we would like to admit. Because we haven't really yoked ourselves to him. Friends, understand these verses are a call for you to surrender. These verses are Jesus saying, if you want to experience rest, deep soul rest, put on my yoke and make me Lord. Why? It's our last question today. Why would you do this? Why would you yield your authority? Why would you give up your independence and autonomy? Why would you surrender control of your life to Jesus? Here's why. He tells us, he says, because I'm gentle and humble in heart. He's not harsh or stern or proud or vengeful. He's gentle and humble in heart. That's it. At, the, at the very core of who our God is, he is gentle and humble. 
He's the most powerful being in all of the universe. He created the moon and the stars and the oceans and the mountains. He's the most majestic thing we could ever even possibly conceive. And yet at the very center of him, he is gentle and humble in heart. Remember those words? We talked about them a few weeks ago. How gentleness is being soft with people, not pushing them too hard or too fast, correcting them tenderly. How humility is thinking more about others than about yourself. How, it, how humility is actually rooted in confidence, being so confident in who you are in Christ that you can consider what's best for other people even before you think about yourself. See, friends, here's the thing about gentleness and humility. You're not always like that, are you? I mean, you are sometimes, I hope. I hope Christ is forming in you and changing you and helping you, and you're seeing more and more gentleness and more and more humility. Some of you in here, I see a lot of that stuff. And yet, and yet, if you're really honest, especially in your mind where no one else gets to see, you're not always that very you know, gentle and humble. You can sometimes be harsh. You like to be right, right? You enjoy saying, sometimes in passive-aggressive ways, I told you so. <laughs> See, here's the other thing. You're not even gentle and humble with yourself. Sometimes you're harsh with yourself. Sometimes you're hard on yourself. Sometimes you know, you're, you're stern and mean to yourself. You're self-critical. Not always, again, but sometimes, right? Friends, Jesus always is gentle and humble. That's why he's a better master of your life than even you are. Notice he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is, this is amazing stuff here, listen. In Greek, the word easy technically means well-fitting. My yoke is well-fitting. Now, Almost certainly Jesus was familiar with yokes because he would craft them with his father, Joseph, in his father's carpentry shop in Nazareth. So Jesus knows all about this. In fact, there's a legend that Jesus made the best yokes in all of Galilee. Some of these have even suggested that the sign above his carpenter shops in Nazareth said, my yokes fit well. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. But either way, Jesus uses this very personal and tangible example to teach us about his leadership. If you yoked yourself to him, how will he lead you? And here's what he says. He says, my leadership in your life, my lordship over your existence is handcrafted and custom fit just for you. My yokes. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, your life, your life is designed and created to fit perfectly into the guidance, control, and lordship of Jesus. You know that, you know that favorite pair of jeans you have? You know that shirt that you wear far too often? Amy and I call it your go-to. Oh, it's your go-to shirt right now. It's because you're wearing it like every other day. It's like, there's no way that thing got washed and you're wearing it again. Why? Why do you keep going back to that hat, that shirt, those jeans, that dress? Why? It fits so good. It feels so comfortable. 
Jesus is saying, that's how your life was designed to fit into my leadership. He's saying, this is where you'll find freedom. Under my leadership, under my authority. He's saying, this is where you'll find rest. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ashley talked about freedom. Wonderful message on freedom. Freedom in Christ. And freedom and rest are very much intertwined. And one of my favorite explanations of freedom goes like this. When is a fish free? Is a fish really free when it can go wherever it wants? Is a fish really free when it decides that no one can put boundaries or limits on its life and it decides, I'm going to go up on land? Is that when a fish experiences freedom? Laying there on the hot pavement, gasping for breath and dying because it decided, I will be my own master. Or, or, does a fit, is a fish most free when it accepts that it was created to live in the water, when it surrenders itself to that boundary, when it submits itself to staying in the ocean. You see, that's when a fish really experiences freedom, when it lives into the boundaries and the authority that it was created for. Friends, that is the offer of Jesus today. He says, you will be most free. Your soul will be most at rest when you submit yourself to my lordship. That's when you'll find peace and contentment and confidence and security and wholeness and hope. You see, that's his invitation today. That's, that's the good news. We talk about the good news around here a lot. The gospel, the good news of Jesus. The message of the gospel is that the greatest, most powerful, majestic, mighty, kind, humble, and gentle being in all of the universe wants to guide your life. Wants to be your Lord wants to teach you and help you and guide you. And he comes to you and he says, you can trust me because I'm gentle and I'm humble. And he's proved this for us, friends. He's proved his humility and his gentleness by giving his life. It's not just lip service with our God. He doesn't just say, I love you. He doesn't just say, I'll put you before me. No, he demonstrates that by giving his life on the cross. See, this is what we declare when we gather and we share this meal. Just a minute, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. This This is a declaration. This is a declaration of saying, God, again, you be Lord of my life. Why? Because you are gentle and humble. You will put me before you. You're always seeking to orchestrate reality so that you can get glory and that I can have goodness and be transformed into who you long for me to be. You'll even use the worst parts of this world. You'll even work things out so that even the worst, most awful, horrible things in this world get twisted around and used for my good. That's who you are. That's the kind of leader you are. And so this meal is a chance for us again to say, Yeah, I don't want any other yoke. I don't want another yoke. I don't I don't want the American I don't want the American dream or or some you know pleasure seeking or some success or title at work to be the primary thing that drives my life. I want you, Jesus, to drive my life because you are good and you are holy, you are gentle, and you are humble. That's the offer today. That's the declaration we can make today. Some of you here today are just recommitting to that. 
You've been following Jesus for a long time, but the challenge is when you walk out those doors, there's a lot of other yokes waiting for you. Come follow me. Come yield to me. Come let me lead and guide. Look at this snazzy thing I can offer you if you'll just follow me. Who does that sound like? Who did that to Jesus out in the wilderness? Hey, come on, there's some good stuff over here for you, right? All that's waiting for you out there. This gathering and this meal is a chance to say no, no to all those other things. And yes to the Lordship of Christ. Some of you are here today and you've never said yes to the Lordship of Christ. Are you weary yet? Are you burdened yet? Do you still think you're flying? Do you still think that road is going to lead to the contentment and joy and peace and hope that your soul is longing for? It won't. Come to Jesus. Maybe today's your day to declare him as Lord and Savior, to recognize that he gave his life, that he died on the cross for you and your sins so that you could be reconnected to the God of the universe now and forever. Not because you've become a good enough person or you've done enough good things in this world, but because he has forgiven you of your sins and your shortcomings through his death and resurrection on the cross. That the great enemy of our lives, death and the grave and the tomb, has been overcome. That offer is right here for you today. You can make that decision this morning. A life-altering and changing decision that will lead to joy and peace and hope and rest. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another minute. In just a second, I'm going to dismiss you, and everyone can move to the tables. There's tables around the room with the communion elements. Please grab them, take them back to your seat, hold on to them. We're going to share this meal together. But again, let me be clear. This is a chance to reaffirm your commitment to the yoke of Christ or to step in to a relationship with the Lord of the universe for the very first time. If God is calling you to either of those things today, then now I invite you to stand. Move to the tables and grab your elements.